Well, as I said, it's the last day of this series, and so far we've talked about hearing God's quiet voice in a loud world and about uh, learning to trust God in a loud and chaotic world. And last week, Pastor Bill did an excellent job and talked to us about quieting the distractions and finding contentment. And today, I want to change it up a little. I want to talk not about finding quiet in a loud world so that we can hear the only voice that matters. I want to talk about how we as followers of Jesus can actually turn up the volume so other people can hear Him more clearly. Now, it's important to those of us who follow Jesus for other people to understand His love. Uh, I, I may have told you before, I was on a plane one time years ago, and I sat down next to this guy, and he looked very nervous, but as we were sitting there uh, about 20 minutes into the flight, he turned to me, and he started talking to me, and he asked me some questions, and then he kind of launched into this uh, speech about why I should accept Jesus as my Savior. <laughs> he didn't pause to listen to me. I tried a couple of times to talk to him, but he was obviously so nervous and so intent on sharing his faith and making sure that I knew that Jesus loved me and that I could be forgiven that while I was sitting there listening, I suddenly realized I had this dilemma did I want to pretend that I wasn't a follower of Jesus and let him believe that he led me to Christ and changed my life so that he would keep being energetic about telling people about Jesus? Or was it more important to say, you know, you're doing a great job and what you're doing is great, but you might want to listen to people because people like me might be trying to tell you, we already know Jesus, you know? And... Um, in the end, I very kindly told him that he did a great job, and, uh, but that I already knew Jesus. But it was just an amazing thing. He was intent to make sure that the love of Jesus was loudly spread. How do other people help people hear the love of Jesus? I've seen people on street corners with megaphones literally loudly proclaiming the love of Jesus. Other people have come up with clever ways to share their faith that are cute, but maybe a little uh, weird. But most people are influenced by Jesus or for Jesus by just spending time with a person who is a follower of Jesus. It's called lifestyle evangelism. It's called letting Jesus change you. As people see you living for Jesus, they begin to be drawn not to you, but to Jesus, and they commit themselves to Jesus, and then they begin to become like Jesus. They become like Jesus. That's how it happened with Jesus' closest followers. He began to spend time with them, and uh, they started hanging out with him and listening to him, and he invited them to follow him, and then they believed in him, and then they began to become like him the more that they spent time with him. And it's amazing to see how the followers of Jesus went through some transformations. Peter, for example, was not known for being real sensitive to people and caring about people, but one day Jesus said to him, Peter, feed my sheep take care of my 
lambs. And late in his life, towards the end of his life, what does Peter write to the elders and the church? Shepherd the flock of God that is under your care. And there was this angry guy who was such a hothead. He and his brother were known as the sons of thunder. And Jesus makes John one of his best friends. And John became commonly referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he seemed to be the one who understood that Jesus actually seemed to have this plan for making sure people heard about his love. Jesus talked to John about love. And in 1 John chapter 3, where we'll be spending most of our time today, John writes this. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. John, who followed Jesus from the beginning, knew this. The message of Jesus from the very beginning was that we should love each other. If you study it, you will find that one of the most common themes that Jesus talked about is loving each other. He taught us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And just before Jesus was arrested, just before he was put on trial, again, it's John who tells us that he said this in John 13, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other just as I loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Did you catch that last part? He tells us how people will recognize that we follow him uh, is a really specific thing. It won't be how often we go to church. It won't be by how loudly we defend biblical truth. It won't be by the cute things that we post on social media. All people will recognize that we belong to Jesus and that we follow him and that he has made a difference in our lives by the way that we love each other. They will know that we follow him by watching how we love each other. So how do we make his love louder? Is it by loudly announcing and proclaiming his love? Probably not. Here's a sad fact. When we are loud, we aren't usually expressing love. When we're loud, we're not usually expressing love. Think about the times when people are loudest. Often in our homes, we are loudest when we're angry. Usually when we raise our voices at home, we're not expressing love. We're expressing frustration or hurt or anger. Another time our voices tend to get loud is when we're discussing controversial topics, our political views or something else, and we may think that we're defending what's right and that we're pointing out what's wrong, but much of our loud political discussion isn't expressing love and it definitely isn't uh, showing respect for others with different ideas. Another time when we're loud, people are sometimes loud at sporting events, and most of the time it's all in good fun, and it's pretty harmless, and it's a way of supporting our teams, but sometimes the things that are said in fun still show a lack of love, still show a lack of respect for others. That's why we call it trash talking. That's also why it's not uncommon to see fans fight each other at sporting events. You see, it's a sad fact, but when we are loud we usually aren't expressing love. Here's my theory. Real love is usually quiet. Real love is usually quiet. 
It's the vows that are hard to hear at a wedding ceremony because the bride and groom aren't talking to you in the audience, but to each other, often choked with emotion. Real love was quiet while my dad cared for my mom while she was struggling with breast cancer. Real love is family members who quietly and faithfully care for someone they love who has lost even the ability to remember them. Real love is the mom who has less food than she wants or needs so that she can be sure that her kids eat enough. Real love is people who consistently serve and give to impact, to see hearts changed and people saved. And sometimes it is just being quiet in the face of conflict. Just being quiet in the face of conflict is loving. Remember, Jesus didn't say a word while they were falsely accusing him. Hey, have you thought of that? He was completely silent while they were falsely accusing him, telling lies about him. Have you asked yourself why that was the case? Well, if he had said what they're saying is a lie, he would have said, I am about to go to the cross. I'm about to die to forgive all sorts of people who I love for their sin, but not this one. This sin, this lie about me is just too bad. I'm not going to forgive that. And so in that moment, Real love wasn't just quiet, it was silent. It was silent. I've been trying to practice that more and more. It's hard for me, by the way. It really is. But when someone posts something on social media about what the Bible teaches or something negative about Jesus or negative about our church. I want to correct them. I want to explain to them why they're mistaken. And by the way, I think that I could out-debate them. I think I could. But I'm learning that most people don't come to Jesus because we've outsmarted them on Facebook. Just doesn't happen that way or because we had a great comeback. Sometimes real love is quiet. It's just quiet. But the point of this message is for us to figure out how to turn up the volume and help people understand and experience the love of Jesus. So let's look at the third chapter of 1 John and let's answer the question, how do we make his love louder? How do we make his love louder? The first way is to silence the hate. It's, the, it's to silence the hate. Right after uh, John writes in verse 11 that the message we heard from the beginning was that we should love each other. Here's what he continues as he writes. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person uh, who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Now, these verses are really significant. He starts talking about Cain murdering Abel, 
And then he finishes by saying that hate comes from a murderous heart and unrepentant murderers don't get rewarded with eternal life. So hate equals murder and it is a very dangerous thing spiritually. And notice he's not talking about enemies hating each other. He's not talking about strangers hating each other. Cain and Abel were family. They were brothers. Imagine the level of hate that would be necessary for a brother to kill a sibling. Now, some of you have struggled with a sibling, but to murder them would be a whole different level. And by the way, it would have been pretty hard for Adam and Eve later on to say, you know what, we have a great family because everybody would know their son Cain had murdered their son Abel. There was murder in their family. There was murder in their family. And after he talks about Cain hating and murdering his brother, he starts talking about people within the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Why would he compare a brother who hated and killed his own brother to people in the church? Unfortunately, it's because there's always been a tendency, even in the early church, for brothers and sisters in the church to have problems with each other. Wherever groups of people get together, people have different ideas and opinions, and somebody gets their feelings hurt and gets upset about something or feels slighted, and the disagreements begin. And in the Christian community, we, we tend to spiritualize our disagreements. It isn't just that Joe has a different idea than Ralph. Joe thinks Ralph is not being true to the Bible, and Ralph thinks Joe is promoting Satanism. And it isn't just that Sally said something insensitive to Carla. Carla thinks she was sinful and maybe even demon-possessed. It becomes a really big deal, and sometimes when people get upset, it is the whole church that is evil, and some people uh, who decide this decide that it's their job to warn everybody else about what they think the church or the pastor or the Christians in the area are doing wrong, and sometimes when this happens, Christians end up in what our former president recently referred to as a circular firing squad. A circular firing squad. We're just taking pot shots at each other and we're wondering why people's ability to invite others to experience the love of Christ seems harmed by it. You see, when hate is loud among Christians, why would anyone think that the church, the family of God, is something that they want to be part of? We can't even love each other. Why would they want to come be a part of it? Now, it's also true that when Christians become judgmental and are known more for what they're against than what they are for, uh, and uh, they promote what they're against rather than what Jesus is for, it also makes it hard for people to hear the love of Jesus. But that isn't what John is talking about here. He's talking about brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus who are part of the same family, not loving each other. And he says it's equivalent to murder. Now, we have a peaceful church. We have a great church, and uh, we get along fairly well most of the time. But 
when you're in a room listening to someone criticize a pastor, whether it's a famous one or the pastor of a church of 50 people, you're witnessing character assassination. And when someone explains to a group or online why they know more than the leaders of their church or why the church across town is more spiritual than another, you're witnessing a destruction uh, of hate that John is warning against. And when these things happen, hate gets real loud. And we forget that there are people who need Jesus who are hearing the hate, and it drowns out the love of Jesus. So we make his love louder by silencing the hate. Let me give you a couple of quick suggestions on how to do that. First, silence hate by dealing with conflict differently. By dealing with conflict differently. I want to be clear, the problem isn't that we disagree sometimes. The problem isn't that we ask questions sometimes or have concerns or even that our feelings get hurt sometimes. It happens in God's family just like it does in our earthly families. The problem is not that we disagree, it's how people disagree sometimes. We don't disagree in a way that expresses the love of Christ or the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ practices what Proverbs says, that a gentle answer turns away anger rather than stirring it up, that there are some offenses that just can be overlooked. The heart of Christ understands that it's sinful and wrong to talk about uh, a hurt or a problem that I have with anyone other than the person who hurt me or who I have a problem with. Jesus very clearly gives us a plan for dealing with conflict in Matthew 18. We go first and privately to the person who hurt us and sinned against us or who disagreed with us, and we talk to them about the problem, and we try to resolve it with them. And if we can't, then we try to get another spiritual person, maybe two, who witnessed the offense, and we go to talk to that person together. And if the problem still isn't resolved, then we ask ask the church leaders to help resolve the problem. That's the way Jesus says that we should do it, that uh, he says, don't talk about each other, talk to each other. Don't get hurt and leave your church. Resolve the hurt. That's what he says. We silence hate by dealing with conflict differently. Secondly, we silence hate by forgiving each other differently. By forgiving each other differently. Hate gets loud when we just can't let it go. Sometimes it just screams in the silence of our brain, but hate gets loud when we can't let it go. And Jesus is clear. We need to forgive people whether they hurt us in unintentionally by being insensitive or uncaring or whether they planned it out and did it intentionally. Jesus didn't say much while he was on the cross, but one of the things that he said is, Father, forgive them. While experiencing more physical pain and I think more emotional pain than he ever had in his entire life, he said, Father, forgive them. He says, God, I want you to forgive these people who have been planning for weeks to destroy me. I want you to forgive people who are mocking me and spitting on me right now. He said, I want you to forgive people who were making fun of him while he hung naked on the cross and people who beat him with whips and with their fists. And it wasn't just his enemies he forgave. 
He said, Father, forgive my friends too. Forgive the friend who sold me out and betrayed me to my enemy. Forgive the really good friend who wouldn't even admit to knowing me. Forgive the other friends who just ran away and hid when I needed them the most. Now, I've had some things happen to me that have hurt and that were wrong, and you have too. But if Jesus can forgive all of these people, I can forgive mine. Both those who have positioned themselves as enemies and those who had positioned themselves as friends. You see, we need to move on, but one of the ways we make his love louder is by silencing the hate. Secondly, we make his love louder by talking less and doing more. We talk less and we do more. Probably the key verse for us in 1 John 3 is verse 18. Here's what it says. Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. John says talking is easy. Doing something is hard. He says, talking about love might not be love. Doing loving things is how we show real love. He says, just stop talking. Stop saying that you love others. Actually love them and prove it by what you do. Loving actions prove love far more than words. Most abusive spouses are quick to say that they love their spouse. And some of the most abusive Christians are quick to declare how much they love you. John says we can silence hate and make love louder when we talk less and we do more. So that sounds good, but if we want to make his love louder, what can we do? Well, 1 John 3 gives us some ideas. First, quietly sacrifice yourself. Quietly sacrifice yourself. Look at verse 16. We know what real love is from Christ's example in dying for us. And so we also ought to lay down our lives for our Christian brothers. When Jesus said that he was giving us a new command, loving each other wasn't a new command. That command had been around for a long time. We had been commanded that before. In the Old Testament, we were told to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus' new commandment was this, love each other as I have loved you. Don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Love each other the way that I have loved you. So John says to really love each other, we have to do it like Christ. How did he do it? Well, he died for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for each other. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. Now, there may be a time, a situation where we literally need to do that where we literally are called upon to die so someone else won't have to. But most times, it has to do with laying down a part of myself for you, sacrificing some of what I want to accomplish um, so that I can accomplish what's best for you, sacrificing things I want so the best can happen for you. That's what Jesus did. 
That's how Jesus loved. He gave up everything that was good and comfortable and convenient for him to accomplish what was best for us. He gave up a place in heaven with God, and he gave up everything else that was comfortable so that he could accomplish what I needed, salvation and forgiveness, so that he could pay the price for my sin. And there are times when we have to do that. We may not have to give up our lives, but we do have to give up some of the things we really want to use for ourselves to serve Jesus and His church. God has called us to, as a church, give up total access to this building any time we want it so that we can give our community a safe and inviting place where they can meet Jesus and where they can find uh, friends and eventually find Jesus. And um, He has asked each of us as followers of Jesus to give 10% of our income and then give offerings on top of that so that he can accomplish what he wants to do here. And he may ask you to give up a number of things that uh, you like and uh, uh, so that people who need Jesus can feel his love in very tangible ways. It might be time, it might be energy, it might be any number of things. And usually when he calls us to make these sacrifices... He wants us to do it quietly. He wants us to do it quietly because real love is usually very quiet. As we're looking at what we can do instead of talking, we can also meet real needs. We can meet real needs. Look at what John says in verse 17. But if someone who is supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live well and sees a brother in need and won't help him, How can God's love be within him? This seems to be a verse for people who are rich, but it isn't. Living well in those days was defined as knowing that you would eat today, knowing that you would have a safe, dry place to sleep. That was as opposed to someone who wasn't able to work, not who chose not to work, but someone who couldn't work, a widow who was not allowed to work, or someone who wasn't physically able to work in their culture, and they had no idea whether they would eat that day or where they would sleep. And he's saying, those who live paycheck to paycheck live well and needed to help those who had no idea if they were going to eat or how they were going to make that happen. And in America today, we really don't have that many people in that situation. Oh, we have people in need, but at every level of our society, there are needs. There's the need to make a car payment or pay electric bills or credit card bills and Those are very different needs than what Jesus was talking about. And we need to help where we can do that. As a church, we do that through our Power of One dollar fund, and you can nominate people using the form online or through our Good Samaritan fund. And uh, there are Uh, These are ways that we meet real financial needs. We also support our food bank and several compassionate organizations here locally uh, through our missions giving. As a church, we work to meet many real needs. But this passage is asking us as individuals to be personally involved in meeting real needs. This is done as you give to impact and make the things the church does possible. But it's also done with compassionate action that you take. And so, how are you meeting needs? The passage indicates if God's love is in you, you should be meeting needs. You should be meeting real needs. 
And that may be through finances or through serving, volunteering uh, here at Impact or in the community, helping a neighbor or befriending a homeless person or any number of things. Again, this isn't something that you broadcast. It's something that you do because you just can't walk by needs. If you just walk by needs without helping, whether they be financial or spiritual or uh, the need for volunteers or the need for friendship, how is the love of God really in you? That's John's question. If we just ignore real needs, how is God's love in us? God's love gets louder when we meet real needs. Lastly, we um, can stop talking and start doing by developing a bias towards compassionate action. A bias towards compassionate action. Do you realize that we all live every day with bias? Every one of us lives with bias. Some of our bias is harmless and some of our bias is harmful. I have a bias for Diet Coke over Diet Pepsi. Pastor Bill has a bias for Skyline Chili. Pastor Dale has a bias against Skyline Chili. <laughs> Pastor Seth and Pastor Bill have a bias for Apple products. Some have a bias for going to bed early, and others have a bias for going to bed late, and those two people are usually married to each other. <laughs> Some have biases that are harming them. Some have a bias for distrust towards people. Some have a bias towards chemicals and behaviors that are destroying their families. Some have a bias towards greed. Some have a bias towards anger or conflict. Some have racial bias or gender bias or political bias. Bias can make us hate something or it can make us love something. It can make us selfish or it can make us selfless. But if I understand 1 John 3.18, the bias we're supposed to develop as Christ followers is a bias toward action. It's a bias towards action rather than announcements. It's a bias to do rather than to talk. I want you to look at verse 18 again. Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. He is saying, when given the choice, our default response ought to be compassionate action. We need to stop declaring our love and start demonstrating our love. We need to develop a bias for compassionate action. And when that is true for us, it will cost us. It's going to cost us. It will change our schedules and it will change our priorities and it will cost us money and convenience and time. So I want to end this series with a dare. I'm calling it Impacts uh, Make His Love Louder Dare. There uh, was a book on marriage a few years ago that did something similar, but I want us to do this uh, as a church, as a part of our Love the Berg theme. Here's the dare. I dare you to spend at least the next week making his love louder. Spend the next seven days taking at least one specific action every day to quietly help people hear and see his love. And you can do these actions as anonymously as possible, and some of them people 
people will know your name, but don't say, hey, I'm only doing this because we're, we have this dare to make his love louder. That would be kind of ridiculous, wouldn't it? Just do it as quietly and as anonymously as possible. You can email us your stories of things that you did to stories at impactpittsburgh.com. And if we share any of them, we won't use names or details. And there is an ideas list available at both doors. And uh, it looks, I have one here looks like this, and there are literally 30 ideas. You could spend the next month doing one thing each day uh, to make his love louder. You see, our world is so loud. Our world is so loud. Voices seem to be screaming at us every day, trying to persuade us that we don't need to listen to God or that his word is no longer true or valid or up to date. And our society is screaming hate and division louder today than I ever remember in my entire life. And we need to rise above the noise. We need to listen to the voice of God because it's the only voice that really matters. We need to let him guide us and protect us to help us push aside the distractions, to help us to be content. We need to rise above the noise and let him really love us and then get serious about letting him really love other people through us because that's the commandment from the beginning love each other because as love gets louder as we silence the hate and as we stop talking about love and start really loving others and proving it by our actions as we do this we become different from the divisiveness of our world and people will notice they'll notice not us but they'll notice jesus and they'll be drawn to his love they'll hear his love brothers and sisters May people watch how you and I love each other and recognize clearly that we belong to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this quiet moment, we just ask that you would quiet our hearts, but Father, that we would commit our hearts to loving people, not just saying we love them, but really loving them and proving it through our actions. Father, let us let that start here amongst your family. Father, far too often there's been murder in your family. And Father, people have been pushed away from Jesus by the hate some churches and some Christians have shown. And Father, I thank you that this is a place of peace, a place where we are just determined to deal with our differences in godly ways. But Father, would you help us through our actions to make your love louder, to turn up the volume so that people in this community and in this world can hear you and see you. In Jesus' name, amen.